Amen. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. A few years ago, we discovered through both need and purposeful investment, a wonderful marriage ministry called Love and Respect. That conference, which Jason and Karen Lair have led as a small group for years, has become a foundational part of our approach to marriage within Crosspoint. If you've never experienced love and respect, you need to. It'll be so worth your time. Through love and respect, we then heard of our friend and brother in Christ, Matt Lair. He is the founder and president of a partner ministry with love and respect. And he has come all the way from the Midwest to deliver a word from God that will heal relationships and to provide for the next two nights marriage mentor training. I've heard the message twice. I'm actually, this isn't pastor speak. This isn't hyperbole. I'm looking forward to hearing it a third time because it encourages me. It humbles me. Helps me, it gives me a vision for the future as a married man myself. Would you help me welcome Matt Lair? Thank you, Mark. Good morning, everyone. What an honor it is to be here this morning. And so I'm from Iowa. When I say Iowa, really quick, you say what? Are you done? You done yet? Almost everywhere I go, someone yells out, potatoes! That's Idaho. No, I'm grateful to be here this morning. Married to this beautiful woman named Pam. And uh, we've been married for going on 17, 18 years now. So uh, the Lord took us away from our careers. I was an engineer, she was a nurse. And we built this marriage ministry now where we have... Uh, over 10,000 people that we've trained how to help broken marriages. I want to unpack some of that for you um, this morning. The title to the message is called, How to Fix Your Spouse. So raise your hand right now if you know of a spouse who needs fixed. Just raise it really high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't be bashful. Don't point at them. Just look like that. The reason why we titled the message this way is because often, whether you're married or not, um, you're going to find out that when you get married, that you're, you're often trying to fix your spouse. You're trying to get your spouse fixed and changed and all that fun stuff. So I decided to write a message on it. You see, I got my little toolkit here. I'm going to unpack this morning a little bit on the tools that we often use to try to fix other people. And I want to kind of share with you some patterns that I've seen, some things that I'm guilty of. But before I do, I just want to be clear, if you're here and you're younger and you're not married, I see some young ladies over here in the front row. I will not embarrass you, unless you want me to. <laughs> see some young men in the back here. Stay tuned in. I know this is a message on marriage, but listen, whether you know it or not, it's coming to you in a theater very, very soon. <laughs> and I want you to be ready. As a matter of fact, I'm going to stop the sermon about three quarters of the way through and I'm going to directly speak to you. So stay tuned in. And if you're here and you're older and maybe you're either widowed or divorced, never to marry again. I need you to stay tuned in as well, and here's why. Because God's going to send you people who want out of their marriage. They're going to come to you for answers. Maybe you already know someone now. Maybe it's a son or a daughter, or a grandchild, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, And they're going to come, and they're going to come to you, and they're going to say, hey, I want out. And I want you to be ready to share with them a formula. And of course, if you are here this morning, married, happy, sad, glad, or mad, 
This message is for you. And before I dive into this, i got to be honest and clean and come clean, and I need to say to you that my marriage isn't perfect. There is no such thing. How many of you know marriage is hard work? I wish someone would have said that to me when I was a little kid. Marriage is work. We bring our flaws into marriage. How many of you know that you're all flawed? You came into the room with some flaws. Did you know that? And so I just want you to, to say this to the person right next to you, just to clear the air. Look at the person next to you and say this. You're not perfect. Just tell them. Okay, okay, okay. I think I could just end the sermon right here. Have a good morning. None of us are perfect. And I want you to know that my marriage isn't perfect. And to prove that, I've you know, the day after I got married, I had a big boo-boo. My wife and I both uh, owned a home when we got married, and I, I was told in one of the services that having each of you having a home before you're married is not normal. Well, in Iowa, you can buy a house for $27, so <laughs> I think you can appreciate that. But we got married, and Pam sold her condo, and I sold uh, my home, and we were going to move in together, and I get over to her condo to load up her furniture to move into our new home, and I, you got to know something about Pam. She's beautiful, but she's also a very strong woman. She's strong, and I love that about her. She's strong internally, and she's strong, and that drew me to her. Raise your hand, men, if you married a strong-willed woman. Just raise your hand really high. <clears throat> okay. Wow, all right. Some of you are like chickens. You're like, I love strong-willed women. Let's hear it for strong-willed women. We love them. That's right. That's right. I love it. it. That drew me to Pam. That drew me to her like a bug being drawn to a zapper. I was like, the light. Zzz. I'm a strong-willed guy, and so as you can kind of tell, we may have the potential for this. And so I pulled up to her condo. We loaded up her furniture, and she came up to me, and she put her hands right on my shoulders, and she looked into my eyes. She was like, now, Matt, when we drive across town to this other home, drive slow. And then she climbs in the trailer and puts her arms around her furniture so none of it gets damaged. Okay. So I'm driving across town, and, and we, you know, we live in a city, about seven, 800,000, and, and it's, you know, it can have busy traffic, nothing like this, but it can be busy. And all of a sudden, I got distracted. I saw a Taco Bell, and I got hungry for a taco. <laughs> the problem is, right at that intersection, the light turned yellow. Guys, what do you do when a light turns yellow? You? So I gunned it. <laughs> Completely forgot she was back there for like 20 seconds. And I whip it to the left and whip the truck to the right, and the trailer completely became disconnected and passes me. She doesn't even know it. And it whips by me, and I yelled out, Pam, hold on. And that trailer slammed right into Taco Bell. So then she gets out, and then I get out, and we exchanged words. And then I go in and I get three tacos and a Mountain Dew because I'm like, I really worked up an appetite here. And I'm looking out the window at my new bride shaking her head. What did I just marry? And I want you to know that as much as that is a true story, 
That's often how marriage starts, is we have our issues, our pattern, our habits in a piece of luggage. And we bring this luggage, you know, our baggage into marriage. We often don't open it up and fully disclose everything in there until a year or two or three after marriage. It's like zip, zip, zip. Here, honey, look what you really got. And sometimes that brings pain and hurt and anger. And the first tool that we often use when we're upset is the hammer. And I call this the tool that we try to fix other people. We grab it in conflict. It's called anger, the tool of anger. It's a hammer. And, and why is it that as a Christian, as a godly man or a godly woman, why is it that we grab this so quickly? Why is it that it is the first tool we grab? The Bible says that man's anger or human anger never, and it uses the word never, produces the righteousness of God. Matter of fact, I want you to think of your life. I've thought sometimes of playing back the video of every time I've used this on Pam or every time I've used this on a coworker or a friend. And if I were to be honest with you, it has never yielded fruit in my life. It doesn't work. And I'm guilty. How about you? Another tool that we often use, I don't know if you know this is even happening, is a screwdriver of manipulation. It's like we manipulate. It's like, a, I'll fix you. you. You don't give me what I want. I'll stop talking. <laughs> I'll shut down. I'll go cold. I'll pull away. I'll quit putting my arm around her or she'll quit holding my hand or completely go cold. I'll show him. I'll fix him. And maybe if you're not married, you're using these tools on other important relationships. I want you to know that often we use anger as a form of manipulation. If you ever found yourself acting in this way where it's like, you either give me what I want and you do what I want, or you get to deal with this, you choose. And that becomes a form of manipulation. And now your spouse has no alternative but to avoid conflict or do what you want. And that becomes manipulative. And I'm guilty. How about you? Another tool that we often use in conflict, it's a, you can't quite see it from where you're sitting, it's a little handsaw, got fine teeth on it and it cuts, cuts deep and it cuts both ways. And, and, and this is what I call words of criticism, just words, words of contempt and I don't have to be mad and I don't have to curse and I don't have to yell but these are my tools that I use to fix situations. Finish this quote for me, sticks and stones will break my bones but words will never it's a lie from the devil. Because bruises go away and bones heal. But often it's the words that we choose that hurt those we love the most. Words are powerful, the Bible says. Words have the power of life and death, the Bible says. As a matter of fact, I could interview you right now, every one of you all alone in a room, and I could write down your story. And in your story, you would probably have particular people who have spoken words into your life, and those words were powerful, and they made you believe in yourself. They made you value yourself. And there was no ocean, and no, you couldn't swim, and no mountain you couldn't climb, because that's what that person and those words meant to you. As the Bible says, they give life, but they also give death. And I could interview you and write down your story. Who, who hurt you? What did your mom and dad say? Or what did a school teacher say to you? Or what has your spouse said to you in the heat of the moment? And you remember it like it was yesterday, and sometimes it cuts and that wound bleeds. 
for a lifetime. Been times in my marriage, unfortunately, with Pam, where I've gotten angry and, and the words just rolled off my tongue and I knew they were going to cut, I knew they were going to hurt, and, and as soon as they left my mouth, I was like, man, I wish I could just bring them back. It's too late. They hit their target. I'm guilty. How about you? I only have a couple more here. This is kind of like a guy thing. You know, um, the, the Holy Spirit often speaks in different ways. Matter of fact, when I start to tune out God and when you start to tune out God, he finds other measures to communicate. Often he'll speak through your pastor. He'll speak through a sermon, a message, or music. As a matter of fact, I, I wanted to mention this earlier. I've been in churches all over the nation, and, and some churches are okay at music. Some churches, though, are amazing at worship, and I want you to know that this group up here, they're amazing at worship. Are they not? They're, they, they, they are. I, I, they are. There, 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 were, there were a few moments there where I'm like, I don't even want to speak. Let's just stay right here in this moment of worship. But God can speak to you through worship. Are you listening? And when God can't get to me through the sermon and through worship and through other methods, one of the number one tools God uses to speak to you is your spouse. Are you listening? Because sometimes the tool that I use is earplugs. To fix. I don't like what Pam has to say, and maybe she said it respectfully. Maybe she said it perfectly. Maybe she was super kind, and maybe she had prayed about it. But I'm being an adolescent, and so I'm going to fix her. I tune her out. Or maybe, ladies, God is speaking to you through your husband, but you're not listening, and you tune him out. And the last tool, we could go on and on, but have you ever thought of all the things you could do to your spouse with duct tape? Are you thinking about it right now? <laughs> this is like fighting for power and control in marriage. Whose role is what? What's the man to do? What's the wife to do? What's your role? What does the God say? What does the Bible say? What does the world say? What does the culture say? What do TV programs tell you? I mean, it's confusing. This battle is fierce. It's nothing new. Matter of fact, in Genesis, Adam and Eve uh, said one of the first curses upon them from sin is that Eve would fight over Adam's position. This conflict is nothing new. And sometimes I don't like what Pam has to say, so I want to fix her. So I'm like, honey, come here. I got the perfect thing. Come on, get a little closer, and I want to silence her. My question for you this morning is what tools did you bring into the room, married or not, young or old? What pattern have you been creating since you were three? And if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. This is what I call my sin nature. It's my flesh. And I want you to know that every single one of us in this room has a unique sin nature. We have a unique thumbprint, if you will, a fingerprint of sin when we're hurt, when you're wounded. And all of us have been wounded before and we'll be wounded again. My question is, who are you when you're wounded? Because that's who you really are. And often, the very first thing that responds to a wound is my flesh, the hammer, the screwdriver, the saw. And I know my sin nature. I know my thumbprint. Do you know yours? I remember one time early in our marriage, I was upset with Pam, and I don't remember why. It doesn't really matter. And I was on my knees praying, and I was like, God, help us. What is it with her? 
When you created woman, God, what were you thinking? (laughs) I don't understand. And I remember in my prayer that God inspired me, and here's what he said, and I want to transfer this to you. He, He says, Matt, put your tools down and get out of my way. Hey, Matt, put your tools down and get out of my way. And I didn't understand. I'm like, God, I don't understand. And he, he repeated himself to me. And all of a sudden, he said, every time you use your tools on Pam, your flesh, you're hurting her heart. And because of you and your tools, Matt, you could, you have the potential of causing your spouse's heart to harden, to build a wall. And because of that wall, Matt, and because of you, now your spouse won't even listen to me, God says. You're in my way. Your tools don't work. You should stop trying to fix your spouse. That's not your job. God says, that's my job. God says, I'm the one that created the universe. I'm the one that fixes people. I heal hearts. I'm working with Pam on my timetable. And who do you think you are, Matt, at taking my job? You're in my way. And that prayer and that moment was a life changer for me to get out of God's way. So if that's true for me and if that's true for you, then what can I do? then what steps can you take to really bring healing into a broken relationship, either one that you're dealing with now or one you will deal with? And the answer is found right here in Scripture. If you have your Bibles, open them up to 2 Chronicles 7.14. 2 Chronicles 7.14 is a passage written by God, or it's referring to God's voice, and I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But while you're opening up to 2 Chronicles 7.14, let me tee it up for you. In John chapter 17, Jesus himself, he's about ready to die on the cross. And this is very important because it was his final prayer to God the Father in heaven before he died on the cross. And if there's any prayer that I'm going to pay attention to from Jesus Christ, it's his last prayer. It's his final prayer. And so in John chapter 17, I'm not asking you to turn there. Just hear me out for a second. Here's what Jesus said to God the Father in heaven right before he died. He said, God, I want, I want you to to bring down one thing, one thing for the disciples and for all those who are going to believe in the message the disciples preach. In other words, Jesus was praying for us. Here's what he said three times. Jesus said, God, I would that you would have them become one like you and I are one. He says it three times, that we would become one. We would become one. We would become one so that the world would know who sent me. Jesus prayed for unity. He prayed for unity. He prayed for a weld between you and your marriage and you and your church and Christians so that through unity there is power found in unity. I mean, there is power found in a strong marriage. Your strong marriage represents a calling and anointing on your life that can reach its potential, that will take the world by storm. It's because of your marriage and your relationships between you and the church And if that's Jesus' final prayer, then what do you think Satan's mission is? Yell it out loud really quick. Satan's mission is to divide. He wants to divide you and your marriage. He wants to divide you and your church. He wants to divide you from other believers because he knows that division is what immobilizes the godly warrior. It's division. That's his language. And it opposes Jesus' final prayer. 
Then, in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 19, don't turn there. I'm just giving you, give you the, I'm giving you this order here. The Pharisees go to Jesus, and here's what they ask him. Is it right to divorce in marriage? Hey, Jesus, can we get divorced? And Jesus' answer, really quick and short, says no. What God has welded together, let man not separate. That's his answer. He does not give any other provision in his first answer to the Pharisees. This puzzled them. It bothered them. So here's what they said. If you read on, they said, well, hey, Moses permitted divorce in the old law. So what about that, Jesus? And then Jesus comes back with a second response. And Jesus said, yes, the reason Moses, hear me out here. He said, the reason that Moses permitted divorce was because of the hardness of their hearts. There we go. I'm now talking about that hardened heart that I mentioned earlier. And Jesus said, that's the reason. But now I tell you, no. I'm no longer sanctioning. I'm not allowing that to be the reason for divorce. And then Jesus says, unless it be for sexual adultery or affairs, which I'm not going to have time to unpack. Jesus says, unless it be for that one thing or abandonment, I say no. I'm no longer just allowing couples to divorce over this wall, this hardened heart. And it left the Pharisees speechless. So what do we do now with the hardened heart? The answer and the formula that I want to unpack this morning is found in 2 Chronicles 7.14, where God the Father, Jesus' Father God, has an answer to the question, what do you do when, when a relationship is broken down? And often in Scripture, especially Hosea chapter 2, God refers to his relationship with us as a marriage. You might hear this all the time in Scripture, that there's a marriage relationship between God and us and through salvation. There's a marriage union there. And sometimes, if you go look at history, we break our bonds with God. We've done it many times as a people. And God gives us this formula on how to reconcile our relationship with him. And it works with him, and it works in marriage, and it works in any broken relationship. And here's what God has to say about the matter. He says, if my people who are called by my name, that's us, if we would do three things, if we would humble themselves and pray and if they would seek my face and turn from their own look up here for a second wicked ways if if you would humble yourself first seek him second and then turn from your thumbprint your your knee-jerk reaction to a wound that first response to a wound is often the flesh and God says if my people would just do these three things. Humble yourself first. Seek me second. Turn from your knee-jerk reaction. Then, I love that word. You might want to underline. Anytime you see the word if and then in Scripture, they're conditional words. They're powerful. They're telling you a story. If my people would do these three things, then God says, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to hear from heaven, forgive your sin, and I'll heal your land. Heal, heal, heal. Every one of us in this room needs healing. We either need it right now, we're going to need it tomorrow, we're going to need it next month, we're going to need healing. We're going to need healing in our hearts, in our wounds, in our, in our unmet expectations in life. And God lays out this formula, and I want to unpack it for you. The first thing he says in order for me to find restoration in a marriage or in a relationship is to humble myself. This is the hardest step. It's hard enough to be humble, but when you're wounded, it's doubly hard. 
I'm hurt. I'm wounded. Somebody used their tools against me, and you're asking me to humble myself? Yeah. Matter of fact, I studied this word greatly. I found it over 88 times in Scripture. If there were one character trait that you would want to seek out as a young lady or a young man, if there were one character trait that I would teach my children out of all other character traits, for some reason, this one God blesses more than any other, and it's humility. Be humble. Be humble. Just be humble. Just be humble. And equally so, if there were one character trait that God opposes the most, it's pride. It's pride. It's pride. It's arrogance. It's an unteachable spirit. God opposes that. Humility is a powerful, powerful path to take in life. I do not care about my wounds. I do not care about who hurt me. If I can just choose to be humble, things are going to go well. And it's the hardest choice to make. And I've struggled with this myself. As a matter of fact, traveling a lot, preaching, speaking, I'm often uh, treated beyond well. I'm treated very well, and, and I've got to fight the pride, and, the, and I've got to fight what comes with that. I was preaching at a church not long ago in North Carolina, and I remember the, the, the pastor took me out for lunch, and I'd been with him for a few days, and he says, Matt, the last guy that we brought in, the last evangelist that we brought in flew in on his own private jet, and he charged the church 10000 bucks for fuel. And he had a list of demands and what he wanted in his hotel room and how he wanted the whole week to go. And I thought to myself, wow, Jesus came in on a donkey. And this man comes in on his private jet. What's going on with us? I need to be humble. I need to be a servant. I need to be in relationship. I need to be humble. I need to be a servant. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And I want to tell you as a husband and as a wife that you, you're not going to swing and miss if you choose humility. I didn't say this would be easy, but it's powerful. How do I be humble? What does this mean, Matt? Give me some practical things that I can do to be humble. Well, first of all, don't respond to fire with fire. Don't fight fire with fire. Somebody pulls out their weapon on you, keep yours in its holster. A humble man bites his tongue until it bleeds when his wife is all over him. He bites his tongue. He doesn't respond with unloving words, with an unloving spirit. And a, and a, and a humble wife uses duct tape on herself and bites her tongue until it bleeds and holds back the words of contempt and the words of disrespect that hurt and cut her husband. Humility shows up in the moment you're hurt and disappointed and wounded. Do the opposite of what your flesh is telling you to do. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Because the Holy Spirit is a supernatural force that is in you, that gives you a supernatural ability. I keep using the word supernatural because that's exactly what it is. It gives you a supernatural power to do that which your flesh can't do on its own. That's what humility is. Remember one time Pam and I got into a fight. I don't want you guys to think we fight all the time. We got into a fight. 
It was early in our marriage. I don't know what it was over. It doesn't matter. I got in my truck and I tore off. I was like, I'll show her. And I, and I squealed the tires. Anybody here ever do that? Raise your hand. Pastor, this is three services that not one person raised their hand. Thank you. <laughs> and I get about a block down the street, and all of a sudden it was like God knocked on my head in this moment where I was angry, and I'm using my tools against Pam. And often we, we justify our tools because of their tools, right? When they, mis, when they uh, misuse theirs and they, mis, they mistreat us, we justify ours. And that's what I was doing. And God knocked on my head. And he's like, hey, Matt, what are you doing? And I said, hey, God, I got, all, I got a list here of everything she did. Here's what she said. She was disrespectful. Ha-ha, <laughs> got her. And God says, Matt, I'm talking to you about you. Hey, Matt, your sinful response to her sin is your problem. And I've called you to be a man of patience and love and understanding. I've called you to love Pam even when she doesn't deserve it. Let me just park this for a second. Your love is proven to someone not when things are great, not when the sun is shining. Your love for your spouse is never proven, it's never exposed, it's never really defined when things are good. It's when things are tough and you're disappointed and your spouse has a bad day. It is that day that you get to prove your love. It's that day that you can give them that which they don't deserve and that's where God's really watching. That's where God's meter's really running. Matter of fact, in, in the Bible it says that even the pagans love those who love them back, but God says, but I challenge you to love those who hate you, to serve those who wound you. Yes, I'm asking you to consider this crazy idea to love those who wound you. Why? Because you will live one amazing life of freedom. Well, Matt, that sounds crazy. I know, I know. Romans chapter 12 says this, don't repay anyone for evil. It says, do not take revenge. Leave room for God to respond. It is mine to respond, God says. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. Let's just stop right there. In marriage, often when the conflict shows up, you will feel like your spouse is your enemy. You're going to have that feeling, of just, if I'm just being real for a second. And you're going to feel like they're your enemy and they're going to feel like you're their enemy. Let's pretend for a second that that's true and you're in that dark hour at one point. Here's what the Bible says. Do not take revenge. It says, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If your enemy is thirsty, give them drink. In doing this, you will heap coals on their head, not to hurt them, but to heal them. And it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, do the opposite of what my flesh is telling me to do. When Pam is, is having a bad day and she's blowing it, I need to show her mercy and grace and love. I, I need to show her what love looks like on those days. And so I felt this massive conviction as I'm driving down the road and, and God's nailing me to the floor as, as I'm looking at my behavior and I'm like, man, I'm blowing it. And so all of a sudden I whipped into a grocery store to buy her flowers. Have any of you ever bought flowers for someone you were mad at before? It's weird. 
I'm still a little jacked up, you know, and I walk into this grocery store and this counter, and God is directing me there, you know. I want you to buy Pam flowers right now when you're mad. Matt, humble yourself. And so I walk up to the counter, and I got the happiest little high school girl in the world. It was irritating. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I'd like to get some flowers for my wife. She's like, Oh, you're so amazing. You're such a good guy. Well, that's how romantic. What kind of flowers are you going to get her? Cheapest kind you got. (laughs) Whack off the heads and wrap the stems. I didn't do that. And, and the Holy Spirit's pushing me to be humble when I don't feel like it and I didn't know that I had it in me, but the Holy Spirit does. And I get in my truck and I'm looking next, next to me at these flowers and I'm driving home right now to, to go home and reconcile and I'm looking at the flowers and I'm thinking about how I treated her and I'm looking at the flowers and I pull into my own driveway and I'm replaying how I behaved and I sat there and I put it in park and all of a sudden I just started to weep. My God, I'm so foolish. She deserves better. God, you deserve better. And God did something. God healed me. You see, I want you to understand this morning that often God wants to heal you so that he can get to the person that you're mad at. God wants to heal you first so he can work through you to get to them. God healed me. And I walked into my own home And I was hoping like in the movies, you know, that I'd kick the door open and I'd hand her the flowers and she'd fall into my arms and, you're my knight in shining armor. Yeah, that did not happen. (laughs) But later Pam told me how grateful she was that I bought her flowers when I was mad at her. Humble yourself. Humble you. And Pam returns the favor often. Over the last 15 years, she's humbled herself uh, during days that I've, I've let her down. And she's shown me a tremendous amount of humility. And we don't always do it right. I don't want to give you this wrong picture, but we're working on it. And God's blessings are right there. Before I move on to the next point, let me just say this to you parents. The only way that kids will learn how to be humble The number one way children learn how to be humble and handle conflict and how to respond in a Holy Spirit-driven way, it will not be, they will not learn at school, they will not learn in social media, they will not learn anywhere as much as they're going to learn by watching you. Show them. Show your kids. Almost every single night when I was a boy, when my parents got in a fight and I heard it, I heard it. I heard my parents get going, getting after it. I heard it, as most of you have heard your parents fight. And, and I, I just can't tell you, over the course of years, they'd get into this big fight, and, and I'd go downstairs an hour later, and I kid you not, I'm not making this up, my father would be rubbing my mom's feet with lotion. And sometimes he'd be brushing her hair with her head laying on his lap. It's like, it's like their nightly ritual. Show your kids how to reconcile. Show your kids how to restore. Show your kids how to to come back. Yeah, you're going to have fights. Yes, you're going to blow it. But man, when you do, come back together as quickly as you can. Your kids are watching. I marveled at how they could recover. Teach your kids. 
Then Jesus, or God, I'm sorry, comes into this second piece. He goes, hey, number one, humble yourself. Now seek me, seek me. This is the formula, seek me. And this one frustrates me because couples all over the world want a divorce. And I'll ask them, you know, in marriage mentoring, hey, have you sought God? No. Have you sought what the Bible says about marriage and and reconciliation and the power of the Holy Spirit and what he can do? No. Have you sought counseling? No. Have you sought an elder? No. Just one out. Just one out. All my friends are getting divorced. They look happy. Just one out. And you know what God says to that? Seek me. I got this. Give me your marriage. Put it right here. Put your marriage right here, God says. Put it in my hands. Just give me a shot. I say this to couples all over. Give, give God a shot. Give him one shot. God says, seek me. I got this. Come to me. Get on your knees. Pray. Read. Seek. Matter of fact, the pastors here, the leadership here has decided to invest in me coming here not to just preach, but we're training up tomorrow night and the next night healthy marriages to learn how to meet with you and learn this process that, that's really powerful and effective. And I want you to know that when you meet with a mentor couple all alone in their home, it's private, it's confidential, but when you meet with them because they are close to the Lord and because they want to love you, they're not perfect, but because they're close to the Lord and they want to love you, meeting with them is seeking God. When you seek someone who loves Jesus, you're seeking Jesus. God says, come, come to me. Give me a chance. Give me a shot. Which leads me to the final point is to turn from my ways. So I humble myself first, and then I seek God, which might mean I need to seek help. I might need to seek other people to help me. But because of those two things, I now have the power to change and move in another direction and walk away from my pattern and walk away from my wound. And I want you to know that if we don't walk away from our wounds and if we don't get through them and understand that sometimes a wound is a beautiful thing because it's where I get to be defined. It's where my walk with God really becomes solidified. A wound is not always a bad thing. I made it through it. But if I don't separate myself from it and forgive the person who hurt me, then I create a prison cell for myself. I create a prison cell for me to live in. God says, turn from that. Turn from that. Move forward. Move on from the wound. Release and forgive and repent. Somebody asked me one time, Matt, what's the... What's the What's the best thing you could say to a couple who's going to have a long marriage? I'd say two words. You want, you want two words that's going to help you lay out a long marriage. It's a lot of repenting and a lot of forgiving. A lot of repenting and a lot of forgiving. A lot of repenting and a lot of forgiving. And when that wall comes down and my hardened heart is no longer hardened, then I can give my wife a supernatural love that she doesn't always deserve. And she can give me a supernatural respect that I don't always deserve. But God says, man, in order to do that, turn from your flesh. What flesh do you need to turn from this morning? What wounds do you need to turn from this morning? Because God wants to meet you there. As a matter of fact, I want to stop right now and speak to the young ones. I'm going to ask you to make a promise this morning, and I'm going to start with the young ladies and I see some over here, and I see some throughout, some young ladies here who look like they're not married yet. I want to speak to you right now. And I want you to make a promise this morning. 
See, you're going to meet a boy at some point, and he's, he, you know, he's going to be pretty attractive, but no matter how good-looking he is or how strong he is or how much money he has, here's the promise I want you to make. If he doesn't love Jesus Christ, don't go on one date. Can you make that promise? Why? Because your hearts can get wrapped around someone so quickly that doesn't know Jesus and never will. Your heart can fall in love with the wrong thing, the wrong person at the wrong time, and it it can derail everything God has for you. And I'm not saying they can't ever find Christ. I'm just saying, why risk it? Girls, ladies, I want you to marry a husband. I want you to marry a man who's not perfect, but when you blow it and you have bad days, he's going to run to the supermarket and he's going to buy you flowers. And young men, I want you to make the same promise that no matter how pretty she is or how wealthy or how popular or any of that stuff, if she doesn't love Jesus, don't go on one date. Don't don't risk it. Don't let your heart fall for someone that doesn't love Jesus because when you get married, young men, I want you to marry someone like my bride, someone who's in the word every morning, someone who has given me all kinds of mercy and grace, someone who has humbled herself uh, to things I've said and done and hurt her, And that's what I want for you. Would you make that promise this morning? Amen, parents? Amen. Make that promise. And if you make that promise, share it with someone. And as we get close to the end of this message, I want to draw your attention to a card that's been in the bulletin. Can everybody pull those out, please? It's a three and a half by five card. And it says on it, we need marriage mentoring. If you're here this morning and you need a little bit or you need a lot of help, maybe you need just a little bit of encouragement Maybe you need a ton. Maybe you're thinking about divorce or anything in between. I want you to sign the card, and then we'll privately pair you up with another couple. You'll go to their home. Nobody will know. They'll meet with you one or two times, maybe five, six, seven, eight times. Help is on the way. Get help before you get out. Get help before it's too late. Sign that card, and I want all of you to turn those cards in the offering plate at the end of the service, whether you signed them or not, so nobody's noticed, no embarrassment, no awkwardness at all. If you need help, sign it, turn it in. If you don't, turn it in. This is our way of finding out who needs help. You matter too much to us. Your family matters too much to us to look the other way and watch it dissolve. Will you do that? I'm going to be at the back of the service offering a couple things. This message, this sermon, I've got on a little travel drive if you want it. And I've got little date night things to spice up your date nights. You go on a date, what are the top two things you talk about after marriage when you're on a date? Yell it out. Kids and work. Yeah, that's a rut. (laughs) And we've developed this little date night thing to help spice up your date night so that when you go on a date, it helps you talk about 800 other things that are fun and serious and future and and your past? Matter of fact, here are one of the, here's one of the questions. What form of animal would you describe your mother-in-law? <laughs> In the last service, a guy was sitting next to his mother-in-law. And he was silent. That was a wise man. And I can answer any of your questions after the service. But as I close, I really need your attention. I really need, I know, it's, I know we're, we're getting into the end here, and I know some of you might be thinking about your lunch, but listen, I don't want you to miss this. This is the most important part of the message. And I hope this, this next few minutes never leaves your memory, and it never leaves your soul, 
whether you're married or not. Something happened to me that changed my life. It's the reason I stand before you. And if you were to say, Matt, why did you leave a career? Why did you leave all that you had to chase after marriage? Is there a deeper reason, a deeper fuel, a deeper passion? Where does it come from? Is there another reason? And the answer is there is. A guy came to me years ago, and he said, I got married at a young age. Wife got pregnant at 14 years old. Their first child was born when his wife was 15 years old. Not the best way to start a marriage. They got married at the justice of the peace. He went off to the military, came back. They had another child. They got born again. They got saved. But their marriage got worse. And one night he came home from work and there was a note on his refrigerator. He had two girls at the time. And it said, I'm gone. I'm leaving you. You can have the kids. I've been in love with another man. I'm going with him. Goodbye. And there this man stood at a crossroad. A crossroad. He stood at a crossroad where he'd been betrayed and hurt and wounded and lied to. And he had one of two choices and one of two paths to choose in life, just like all of us when we're wounded and hurt and betrayed. One path, I call it the path of forgiveness. It's powerful, led by the Holy Spirit. And when you take it, miracles are on the other side, and you can't see them right now in your wound. But when you take this path of mercy and grace and forgiveness and, and you walk through the wound and you don't run from it, miracles are on the other end. But I see couples and people taking this other path all too often. It's what I call the path of contempt. It's where I'm going to hold everybody in contempt who wounds me. You hurt me, you're out of my life. You lie to me, you betray me in marriage and friendships and family, I'm cutting you out. And that path is full of hardness and anger and hurt and bleeding and divorces all in the rearview mirror. And I don't know how or why, but here's what this man did. He got down on his knees and he says, God, I'm going to pray for her right now. And I'm going to forgive her right now while she's with her lover. And I'm going to pray for her and I'm going to wait. And he waited and he prayed. And he waited and he prayed. And the months went on and his friends and his family are like, dude, divorce her. You have the right. Move on. He said, no. He said, she's the mother of my children. No. Till death do we part. No. And he waited. And finally, about a year later, he gets a knock at the door and he opens it up and there she stood. Luggage in hand, tears running down her face. Broken, lonely, shattered. Would you forgive me? Would you take me back? I'm sorry for all that I've done. Not knowing what he would do. This big grin comes across his face and he grabs her and he brings her into his chest. She melts. And that couple stayed married 60 years. And they had four more sons. And one of those four sons is me. My dad had no clue that his decision to love my mother while she was with her lover would yield my life. 
My dad had no idea during that one year of difficult time that humbling himself and seeking the Lord and turning from his flesh would yield four more sons and 60 years where they literally fell in love on their 30th year of marriage. And the last 30 years was marriages that we all dream of. My father had no idea that an unborn son would leave a, a career and now thousands of people are trained all over the world to fight for marriages because of his love for my mom. That's what I want for you. Your marriage doesn't just affect you. Your marriage affects your children and their children and their hopes and their dreams and their calling. I used to call my dad after every trip. Hey, dad, I was in Toronto, New York, California, you name it. Hey, Dad, I just want you to know that another 3,000, another 4,000 people are trained and they're fighting for marriages to honor God. Dad, I just want you to know that. Grasp that, will you, Dad? That when you loved my mom during that year, that, that this all happened because of you. And there's times I sat down and I looked my mom in the eyes and I said, Mom, you're a hero too. You came home. Hey, Mom, you humbled yourself and you sought the Lord. You turned from your sin. And God met you on the other side. Thank you, Mom. But my father died not long ago. Matter of fact, six months before he died, they asked me to marry them at a church because they never had a wedding. You should have been there. Church full of people, and here they come down the aisle with their walkers. <laughs> and all the groomsmen were my brothers. And all the bridesmaids were my sisters. And my dad stood tall. And he passed away about six months later. We were all surrounding his bed. And my mother collapsed on his body, his lifeless body, and she lets out this roar. She's like, no, you promised me you'd never leave me alone. And I sat there watching in awe of God's power. A beautiful marriage that came to an end. That's what I want for you. That's what God wants for you. Will you humble yourself this morning? Will you seek him? Will you turn? Will you give him a shot? That's my mom and dad right there. All those grandkids that would never be all those hopes and dreams that would never be. Let's pray. Father, as I close this morning, I just want every couple right now to slip your hand in your spouses. Please, right now, if you're married and you're here, grab your spouse by the hand. And by doing so right now with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, here's what you're doing when you grab them by the hand. You're doing two things. You're saying, honey, forgive me for my part. Forgive me for everything I've done. I repent. I turn from my flesh right now in this moment. And by taking you by the hand, I'm also forgiving you for your stuff. I'm letting go. I'm letting go. Father, would you bless them? Would you bless their marriages and their children and their hopes? Father, would you give some courage to sign a little card if they need help? Get them over the hump of pride and fear. Would you bless our training tomorrow night? I say all this in your name. Amen.